Optimal Bio podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at optimalbio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Optimal Bio's Wellness Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Aliyah Gard of the Gard Wellness Center in Cherry, North Carolina. Welcome, Aliyah. Thanks. Hey, Jim. Glad to be here. How's your day going so far? Uh, fantastic. I've actually been meeting to meeting to meeting from eight o'clock on. So this is kind of a nice conversational breather. Cool. Well, tell us a little bit about what you do now and how you got there. How much time do we have? <laughs> so, uh, so my husband and I um, opened Guard Wellness Center in 2010, and we started out as a, I guess you would say, a pretty a uh, strict chiropractic office. We had chiropractic and some physical modalities. Um, we in 2012 changed our name with the bigger goal of offering everything we could to get people better to live life well without drugs or surgery. So we changed our name from Guard Chiropractic and Acupuncture to Guard Wellness Center. And since that time, our practice has really evolved to offer as many things as we can to help people live life well without drugs and surgery. So um, my husband is still primarily chiropractic. He treats about 70 70 percent of our patient base from a chiropractic standpoint i treat pregnancy and pediatrics um and uh have all i have always done the acupuncture and also done labs with people so food testing labs or you know different gut testing and things and that has gone back probably to 2014 in a very informal patient by patient sort of fashion a la carte if you would and then COVID happened <laughs> and we realized a couple of things. One, obviously, that a lot of people are living with a ton of inflammation and they're not able to properly handle a virus. And the other glaring observation was that in the flash of a pen stroke, your governor can determine that you're not essential and close your doors. And because we're brick and mortar, we realized that we really needed a pivot point. We needed something that we could offer virtually. You could never offer an adjustment virtually. So what we did was we took everything I was doing on the functional medicine side and put it online. And so all of the patient education that we were doing in person, patient by patient, made videos, you know, found resources to order labs and supplements and all the things. So really took that arm of the business and made it bigger. And that's now what occupies probably 75% of my patient base time. So during the pandemic, chiropractor practices were not considered essential? They were, thankfully, but we had colleagues in Kentucky and Colorado who were shut down. Got it. Um, Got it. And so it's really, you know, if Cooper had a different opinion, we would have been among the ranks of those who were shut down. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I'm thinking um, you guys were shut down and... I know at Optimal Bio, we stayed open the whole time. And um, uh, so you got me nervous there for a second. But because uh, I do remember that, you know, the, thankfully, the a lot of the medical practices were, you know, allowed to stay open, you know, during that time. Yeah. But that, yeah. I don't want to go into medical freedom and all those wonderful things at this point in time. Um, so how did you get to become a chiropractor? How did you, I know you're from 
what, uh, Western Massachusetts, you went yeah. to Southern Maine, you know, so you're up from the Northeast and now you're down here in the South. So kind of walk us through your journey as to how you got to where you are. Yeah. So I love my journey and, and I didn't always love it because I feel like I always wanted to be one of those people who kind of, you know, the type, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They went right to it and they did it. I was not that person. I took a very circuitous route. And so undergrad sociology, really didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to work for a Fortune 500 insurance company. And I really loved corporate life for a while until I didn't. And um, (laughs) I just, I started practicing yoga a lot. And I honestly, I attribute that to my awareness to cue into the fact that regardless of how much money you make and what kind of car you drive and what kind of corporate title you hold, if you don't feel fulfilled doing what you're doing, it's just not a good fit and it's not going to last. So very, very long, circuitous story short. Um, I quit corporate America. I traveled around. I went to India. I took a deep dive into yoga and um, came back and still floundering, started a graphic and web design business, did little things along the way. And one of my yoga students at the time was a chiropractor and I wound up hurting my back. And she said, well, you know, come check out what chiropractic is about. Let me adjust you. And I thought, well, I have no idea what chiropractic is about, but I'm totally open. Like, let's go check this thing out. And she was, um, she was so passionate about what she did. And she didn't treat anybody until she explained how chiropractic works, which is that the nervous system controls every single part of your body. And if there is a misalignment in the spine, we can have problems. And I did. And so the the message just really kind of lit a light bulb and it aligned so much with what I was already learning and experiencing and studying with yoga that I I actually left that patient education meeting. I called my sister and I was like, Hannah, I was 32 at the time, I said, Hannah, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a chiropractor. So um, at the time I had this two year around the world trip planned and um, I wound up shortening it to four months and then went to chiropractic school where I met my husband and uh, and here we are today. So it was really a series of trying things that were not good fits for me until I thankfully found something that is an amazing fit and has so much flexibility in the things that we can offer that align with our beliefs. Um, but it's funny when people talk about retiring, I, I don't literally cannot imagine retiring. I can imagine cutting back, but we'll do this forever. Well, you're also a great lesson for, I think, a lot of parents and, and therefore uh, and kids, you know, that are going through college and, you know, are trying to figure out their careers at this point in time. There's a sense of urgency these days to be pre-programmed, you know, from the time you're in high school, you know, all the way through. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that, you know, you, you had a wonderful journey and, you know, you figure out, you know, no matter what age, you know, what you wanted to be. And it's so far, it's worked out great. So Absolutely. I've been to India three times. So just curious. Uh, tell me about your yeah. India trip. Oh my gosh. So Aldous, Huck, Aldous Huxley, author, described India as an assault on the senses. And when I first landed in Mumbai, that was my experience. It was, I had never been anywhere like it. Um, I was a solo traveler because I really felt at that point in my life, I, you gain the most out of traveling solo because you're 
you know, you're getting outside your comfort zone. You're talking to people that you might not talk to if you were in a group. Um, India was phenomenal. It took me about two days to adjust to the the smog headache. <laughs> and once I did that, it was amazing. I had planned to go study with Pachabi Joyce and I traveled to his um, ashram, so to speak. And it was it just turned out to be not a good fit for me. So I wound up pivoting. I went to Mysore. I spent a month there taking another deep dive into yoga with a different teacher. Um, I spent time in Varanasi, in Mumbai, and just had a phenomenal time. I will say the next time I go to India, it's not on a shoestring budget. So <laughs> it's probably going to be a much different experience, but it's an incredibly special place. Yeah, we had, I'd been over there three times for business and was struck, you know, initially by you land around, you know, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. And you know, in the States, when you land, no matter what city you're in, it's airports are relatively quiet, you know, at that time of night. And I just remember going outside and it was just a sea of loved ones waiting to pick up their, their you know, family and friends and what have you. And it was just the parking lots were packed. I mean, it was just it just hits you all at once. And, um, it's that same energy, you know, for every single day that you're there. And, percent. Um, I liked it from a business perspective. I would, would like to go back as a tourist, I guess. Um, cause even a business, you get to see a different side of, of the country and you're not just looking at monuments and, you know, eating in nice restaurants every night and what have you. Um, but it's a fascinating place. So the, with those travel experiences though, did that help you then, um, you know, when you, you know, were introduced to, you know, your current career, you know, have you been able to use some of those experiences um, as part of your foundation and the way you, you know, deal with patients, for example, and, and how you look at them and what have you? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I don't know that that kind of experience impacts my patient interaction as far as clinically, for certain not. But what it did do was when you when you put yourself outside your comfort zone, like traveling India, for example, with very little money, not really knowing what I wanted to do and going places and having it not work out and then figuring out how to get to the next place, it gives you a sense of um, strength and that you wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think what my travel base really did for me was in the early stages of starting a business when you have no idea what you're doing, <laughs> And in our case, you didn't have the capital to hire somebody who did know what they were doing. Um, you figure it out and you just have this kind of innate sense of knowing that I can do this. So I think for me, traveling solo and traveling in very different areas that were kind of off the beaten path really gave me more of a sense of strength and a strength and a sense of self that gave me the confidence to go through the really hard parts of business building. A lot of us have, uh, you know, multiple impressions on chiropractic services, yeah. right? So, you know, some people don't believe in it at all. You know, some people think it's, uh, it's a, a revenue stream where, you know, once you start, you know, you have to go every week, quote unquote, for an adjustment. Um, otherwise, if you don't get adjusted, then, you know, your neck hurts or your back hurts or whatever. Um, you brought up an interesting point earlier where everything's, you know, comes from the nervous system, you know. Uh, so from a, just a simple perspective, chiropractic for dummies, assume I'm dummy in this case, like what is, you know, describe the benefits and describe how it actually works. 
Great, great question. So uh, direct, well, I'll do that after. I'm going to direct you to a book that does a phenomenal job of explaining the neurology behind it. I am not the person that can explain that in a way that most people will understand it. So from a very, very basic perspective, if you know, our brain controls everything, our brain controls our nervous system, our body, our organs, the way we move, our sensation. So if we have a misalignment, for example, if there is a very slight um, lack of movement or restriction at one vertebral segment, it doesn't take very much at all to affect the signal that that nerve is sending to its end place, its organ, its limb, wherever it's going. So we find that when, when we can keep the spine moving, when all of our joints are moving, we don't have degeneration at the same rate that we would once we stop moving. It's like if you, when you break an arm, we cast it. And what happens is those bones grow together. That's, that's what our body naturally does to stabilize the joint. If our two vertebral segments stop moving the way that they should, they start to grow together. And that's when we have degeneration. And that's when it goes on and on and on. It's going to start affecting the nerve supply. So really, you know, the dentist did a great job at PR. <laughs> they let us know that you have to get your teeth cleaned right. every six months or every year, or you're going to have cavities. Chiropractors suck at education. We just do. <laughs> you know, if you don't keep your spine moving, you will have degeneration. And even more so now, we're starting to see people come in that have reverse curves of their neck because they're looking down at their phones all the time or they're working from home and their ergonomics are not properly set up. And these things play out with with headaches, you know, allergies get better, digestion gets better. There's so many things that get better with chiropractic care. Um, and that's a hard message to portray because it's hard to explain. But again, coming back to the dental analogy, you don't really know how dirty your teeth were until you get them cleaned and you leave the office and you're like, oh man, that feels really great. Teeth are all smooth. I can feel my, <laughs> I can feel all the tartar is gone. Chiropractic is the same way where you don't even sometimes realize how stuck you are for lack of a better way to say that until you start to have that free movement until you've been aligned and you're spine is upright enough so that your lungs can fully breathe. So there's, um, it's kind of hard to explain unless you've been adjusted, but there's, there's this feeling that we kind of, it's not a joke within the profession. It's actually how you feel, but it's called turning the power on. When my husband gives me an upper cervical adjustment, I get up off that table and my eyes are brighter. Like, I feel like I can breathe deeper. It's just, it's a complete reset. So when, let's say you get a new patient coming in and they have they have digestive issues, they have gut issues. And, you know, I know you have the whole wellness side of it. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but just from yeah. a chiropractic side of it. Um, sure. Uh, and they've been to, you know, regular doctors and, you know, all the other doctors in the world, yeah. GIs, yeah. everything. Everything's yeah. fine. Everything's Nothing's fine, wrong. right? You yeah. know, you just <laughs> have a little discomfort. You're getting old, yeah. you know, yeah. lay off the sugar or stop eating too many peanuts, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, from, but from a chiropractic standpoint, though, when they come new to you, what, what are some of the basic things that, uh, from a testing standpoint that, you know, you, you'll do, you know, prior to deciding whether or not they need an adjustment? 
So we do x-rays on probably 90% of our patients. Um, and, and we do that because we adjust based on where the stress is in the spine, and we can see that based on changes on x-ray. So we just don't guess with that stuff. Obviously, pregnant, pediatric, we're not, we're not x-raying those people. But for the majority of our patients that come in, they do start with an x-ray. They get an x-ray, they get a physical exam. You know, it, what orthopedic tests are done depends on what they present with and then we kind of go from there. But really, the, the foundational work is done on an X-ray. Now, I will say we don't generally get patients who are coming in with a, like a somatic complaint, like a stomach ache or something like that. Most people that find their way into a chiropractic office are the typical things that chiropractic treats, you know, back pain, neck pain, headaches. They're coming in with a pain complaint. And so we really... You know, you have to meet everybody where they are. Right. I'm not going to tell that low back patient person that, yes, we're going to clear your low back pain and we're going to turn the power on. You're going to feel amazing. You're, you know, you have to kind of meet them where they are. And as patients go through care, they're the ones that are telling us, hey, do you think this has anything to do with sleeping better or I'm not as gassy or, you know, I got pregnant. I mean, we see that a lot. Like the, we don't tell the patients the potential. We meet them where they are and we discuss their complaint. They're the ones that bring the thing to us in the room when they say, hey, do you think this treatment could be done, could have to do with this because I haven't changed anything else. And that's when you know the conversation can open up and you can start explaining more and more of that. Because if you just head right at that, you're like, this crazy lady just told me she's going to make my energy better and make me sleep better with an adjustment. I don't believe it, right? Like, <laughs> right. How do you know, you know, based on x-rays and everything else, I mean, are, are, since you have, you know, acupuncture, you have, you know, the chiropractic piece of it, you have the wellness piece of it, um, you know, is there a consult, I guess, with the patient once, you know, x-rays, labs or whatever that's done? And then do you decide at that point in time how to treat? Yeah. So um, every treatment plan is different. And we also have in the intake paperwork what services they're interested in. Like if they are not at all interested in acupuncture, unless we are 100 percent sure that that is the one tool we have in the office that's going to get them where they want to go. We're generally not recommending what they're not looking for unless it's indicated. So, you know, for example, we do cold laser therapy and we do spinal decompression. So if a patient comes in with radiating low back pain, we do an x-ray, we can see, you know, compression at L5S1, there's no disc space. They need decompression therapy and laser therapy is going to help reduce that swelling and stimulate healing. So in that case, for that person, they're going to get you know, three of the services that we have and usually massage, we'll usually throw massage in there because everybody loves it. Um, but if someone comes in for headaches, for example, and we identify on x-ray that they have a misalignment in their C1, C2, that's kind of a straight adjustment patient. They don't need decompression. They don't need laser unless, you know, maybe they hurt their rotator cuff during a lift or something, that would be a soft tissue injury that we would indicate for laser therapy. So everybody's a little different. And I think over the course of our business history, we 
have tended on the side of under-recommending than over-recommending as far as a certain number of services. Um, we still trend towards meeting the patient with where they are and what they want, but, you know, everything's individual, if that answers sure. your question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I hear about, you know, some people, friends that, you know, have intermittent um, leg pain and almost feels like it's a nerve issue. It sounds like mm -hmm. it's a nerve issue at times. And, you know, they'll go for a walk, for example, you know, and it'll be fine for weeks and suddenly one day it hurts. Right. Yep. Um, are those more tricky to, you know, try to figure out, you know, when you don't have a chronic situation, but you more have a, like I have an intermittent thing or is everything kind of the same? Uh, it depends. <laughs> Clear as mud, right? Um, it depends on, <laughs> on what orthopedic tests come back positive on, you know, some movements are going to exacerbate things. Others aren't. That gives us information. But I guess generally speaking, if I were to paint a paintbrush over the two, you know, the acute versus that chronic person, the person that has an acute issue generally doesn't need as much time to resolve versus that person that's chronic. You know, if it took you, if you've been in this pain for 20 years, we're not going to fix you in 12 visits. Right. right? right. Um, so I, I would say it's more of a, the difference is more in the length of treatment for those two patients. And then is there any truth to the fact that, um, you know, people have to go in for an adjustment um, once they're fixed, for example, um, you know, are they still coming in for adjustments anyhow to maintain that situation? Because obviously something caused the problem in the first place, right? Yes. Um, so is there, you know, other programs that they go on or they just simply come in and get adjusted every once in a while? No, we want them, we literally want them to get adjusted for the rest of their life. Okay. That is full disclosure. Now, having said that, if we fixed you, right, got everything working, there's no pain, everything is aligned, everything looks great, and that we put that person in a hermetically sealed bubble where they have no stress, they have no poor biomechanics, they don't do anything to disrupt their ecosystem, we probably don't ever need to see them again. But that's just not the way we live. So, you know, my husband and I get adjusted once a week. We have, I don't even know, as long as I can remember, um, unless there's something acute and then, you know, we're going on an actual plan where it's more than once a week. But I mean, that's what works. That's what works the best. Now, some patients can't do it or they can't afford it. I would say the, the longest people go is once a month. And the most frequent they go for wellness, you know, we're not dealing with any pain or anything, is once a week. And so we tell them what we do, we tell them what we recommend, and then they make their decision. So let's go back to yoga real quick, because yeah. you studied it, you practice it, probably taught it. Um, and the way I heard your story or listened, I mean, understood your story is you're doing yoga and you get hurt. And then you this leads you to the chiropractor world and suddenly you have this career in it and everything else. Yoga is supposed to be a, like a healing exercise, right? So I'm going to be a little tongue in cheek with you. So please do. <laughs> did you actually get hurt doing yoga or were you trying to <laughs> use yoga to help you get better, but you just needed an extra boost in order to, to, to get better again? Great question. So, so yes and yes, or yes and no. Um, I was teaching yoga, but I was 
saving money for my two year trip around the world. And I was, my father has a landscaping business. And so I had rented out my apartment in Portland and I was living and working on his landscaping crew for the two months preceding my departure for my trip. And I moved a big piece of rock quartz for somebody's outside shower <laughs> and I threw my back out. <laughs> and so, so yes, I was using yoga therapeutically, but also teaching it. So this chiropractor was in the classes I was taking and also taking the classes I was teaching. And that's when she said, hey, you know, <laughs> you need to come get adjusted. And that's how it all started. Okay. I'm, my daughter is a yoga instructor, so I've been to a couple of her classes, but I'm as flexible as a board. And um, <laughs> I can't, I'm sore for a week after I do it. And I probably should oh. stick with it. But, you know, I, I get on the Peloton app and do my 10 minutes of stretching and and I pat myself on the back, but I know that's not really helping me too much. Um, I have to go deeper, I guess. Because um, I am a true believer, especially when you get older, you know, the more flexible you are, you know, the whole, whole you have better health outcomes. Um, Strength and flexibility, for sure. Okay, so got the chiropractic piece of it. Sounds, sounds good. Now you decided, you know, you're going to be a, a unique uh, type of practice where you're not just going to be, for lack of a better term, cracking backs, but you're going yeah. to you know, get into uh, some other uh, wellness practices. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so we know that getting adjusted helps your whole body function better. But let's face it, if you're getting adjusted once a week on wellness and you're eating McDonald's for lunch and your relationships are toxic and you're not exercising and you're not doing the other things, chiropractic is only going to get you so far. And so it really because life is just better when you feel good and you're healthy. You can do so many things, so many physical things. You're, you can think of things, you can create more. You can just, you can be on fire when you feel good and your body functions well. So we just knew that we wanted to help people find those things because what we kept hearing over and over again was, well, you know, my cholesterol's up. My doctor told me I need to lose weight and I should change my diet. Did they give you any resources? No, I've just been Googling it. Okay. And we just kept hearing that over and over. And I understand the, the insurance primary care model. I get it. They don't have time. And quite frankly, they probably don't have compliance a lot of the time too. So it's, it's a safer malpractice bet for them to prescribe the things than to counsel on lifestyle. So let me interrupt real quick. What, is, what yeah. do you mean by compliance? Patient compliance. So, you know, if a patient, yeah, if a patient comes in and I tell them to change their diet, but I don't give them the appropriate antihypertensive, that's a potential malpractice issue for me. Right. So I get why the prescribing is the way it is, but it doesn't ultimately help people. And, you know, sometimes I'll get patients in that are on 10 different meds. And one of the things I love to ask people on intake when I start working with them is, I mean, I know what the medication's for, but I ask them, well, which, what is this one for? Oh, I don't know. Did you ever talk about getting off of it? No, like it's not even crossed their mind. They just become patients for life and medications are great, but they're not needed all the time. And so that's where we really wanted to try to make an appreciable change for people. So then you, are you, edu- let's say they're coming in and taking four or five different medications. Are you, uh, and they do give you that answer of like, 
I don't know. I'm just taking it. Um, you try to educate them on what all four or five are supposed to be doing. And then also the interaction between the four or five, because we see a lot of situations where, you know, one medication may be negating another yeah. one um, yeah. or, you know, yeah. God forbid, there's a catastrophic event, you know, because, you know, a doctor made a mistake somewhere and prescribed and another one prescribed, nobody's talking to anybody. And then suddenly, you know, the patient's yeah. in trouble, right? And nobody catches it. Um, so yes, but this is a, this is a, a delicate area for chiropractors because it's not in our scope. Pharma pharmaceuticals prescribing rights are not in our scope. There's half the profession that wants it within our scope. There's half that don't. We took pharmacology in school. Like we understand what all the things are. So I have to be gentle in that conversation and very careful with what I say. So it usually, you know, do you know what it's for? No. Was there a plan to get off? No. Well, this one is an antihypertensive. This one is, you know, the goal of this one is to regulate your blood sugar. These are the general side effects. This is outside my scope. What I recommend is that you go back to your prescriber because oftentimes it's not even their doctor. Um, what I recommend is that you go back to your prescriber, ask them what each of these are for and ask them what the plan is to get off. And, you know, if I have a patient that winds up being going in the functional med track, they have complete buy-in. They will have those conversations with their doctors. And half the time, the doctors are really on board with it once they can see that they're making these other changes. And we can see changes in labs, right? Um, but it's a delicate conversation. But I, the older I get and the more established in practice I get, the more kind of like... I get a little bit more brazen about it because quite frankly, people do need to know that there's dangerous interactions. And yes, I care that it's outside my scope. I'm not going to tell them to get off of it, but I'm going to tell them what the side effects are because <laughs> anyone can find that on Google, right? <laughs> so then when you're putting them through your wellness program, for example, how do you handle the compliance issue? Well, I can't make anybody do anything, right. but the people who invest the time and the money are generally invested in the outcome. And so these are the patients that come through this program are ones that are have already seen all the specialists. They've already been told in most cases that things are normal or they are on the border of an autoimmune issue or, you know, I've got to get my labs tested in three months. I'm not diabetes. I'm, I'm not diabetic yet, but so they're, they're borderline and they're starting to cue in that there's another way. And so those patients are dialed into lifestyle changes. They make the diet recommendations. They do the, you know, wacky labs that I run <laughs> that aren't covered by their insurance. Um, and, and I generally have their buy-in. You know, life happens, but, but the reality of it is if health were easy, 75% of Americans wouldn't be in the shape that they are. And so it does take work. It does take discipline. And I'm really upfront with clients before I take them on that this is a partnership. <laughs> Like, I'm not just going to give you a supplement. You you have to do the work, too. And so I think that as long as all of that is on the table and they understand that and they've invested, the compliance is really pretty good. Tell us a little bit about some of the wacky labs that you do. Do you also, I mean, you're going to run a typical panel, I'm sure. But, you know, what else do you do? Yeah, so typical panel. Um, I generally run an organic acids test on everybody and I do stool tests on everybody. There's this 
I think there's this funny meme going around with a picture of like Hippocrates and it says, you know, for functional medicine, every, everything starts in the gut. And it's true. It just does. That's where dysfunction starts first. So we always look at a stool sample, microbiome, parasites, all that stuff, organic acids to tease out any nutrient deficiencies. You know, where are we deficient? Um, obviously full blood panel and all of that. If there's an indication for other tests based on their intake, you know, sometimes I'll run a mold panel. Sometimes I'll run more specific panels or it really just depends on the intake. But if I had to just pick three, it's serum labs, you know, comprehensive, the full panel. It's a stool test. It's an organic acids test. And then I also love to run DNA tests if patients are into it. It's like, great, we got you to this point. Now let's look at the DNA. Let's look at your predispositions so we can really target epigenetics to support you for the rest of your life, right? And what is the organic acid test? Is that blood also? So that's urine. Okay. Um, and, and basically, that's an easy way to describe the organic acids test. It's looking for nutrient deficiencies for nutrients that are required in all of the major biochemical processes that your body does, right? Krebs cycle, energy production, all of that. So it's testing urine. So like if you have metabolite A and you need to change it to metabolite B, you need a vitamin and you need an enzyme. So if we wind up with a ton of metabolic or uh, metabol <laughs> metabolite A in your urine, we know that it didn't get to B and it didn't usually get to B because of a vitamin deficiency. So, so that's kind of how that test works. And it can really highlight a lot Um for us to support. Yeah, I've seen some of the, the stool test results and they're, you know, 40, 50 pages of, you know, bacterias and funguses and, you know, fats and, you know, you name yeah. it. Um, and the good news is, you know, I don't think the common person could, you know, look at their test and say, oh my gosh, I got to do this, this and this, right? Um, so, I'm assuming your testing is similar. So, so from Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's probably... 12 or 15 pages, but I'm sure. Well, it seems I'm like sure 50. Let's put it that way. <laughs> There's a hundred thousand pages in this thing. Um, no, it, it, so it breaks down. You can, so the first is the microbiome, right? It's going to tell you how much good bacteria you have. You should have a certain amount of good bacteria. It should be a decent population. Um, we have commensal, which is like, it's imbalanced. And then there's dysbiotic. So depending on what shows up, determines from a probiotic perspective how we're supporting that piece. Um, the test that I run tests for the yeast, but it also cultures the yeast. So it can tell us what type, how much, and then which botanicals the patient will be the most sensitive to. So you don't have to kind of throw a bunch of different botanicals at this yeast to get it to go away. You can know specifically which one to use and you know, I know how long and all of that stuff. Um, it also, one of the most valuable parts that come out of this is testing elastase in the pancreas. You know, so many people have been on PPIs, you know, Prilosec, Nexium, all that stuff for a long time. And so what happens is the pancreas doesn't get a signal to send out its digestive enzyme, the elastase. So once that's in the tank, you know, we have floating stools, we have a ripe environment for bugs and SIBO and H. pylori and all that stuff. So um, the test really gives the, I call it the foundation of everything. Because again, 
we can give the vitamin, we can give the nutrients, we can give the probiotics, you know, randomly. But if we don't ever sort the gut and get it fully functional, our body will be inflamed. You know, that's where our immunity is. That's where that's ground zero, in my opinion, and in many opinions. (laughs) Based on what you know about this whole industry and um, obviously we have our theories at Optimal Bio as well, but it seems to me that all of these autoimmunes, inflammation in general have, have skyrocketed since, I don't know, maybe the late 80s, early 90s. Um, is that because testing is better now or is that, is that, well, in your opinion, why is that? So, yeah, if you, if you ask someone in allopathic medicine in a hospital system, they're going to tell you testing is better. And Probably more people are getting screened, but I think honestly, we're just living in a toxic soup. I think that our food, I mean, I could spend an hour talking about our food sources. Our food sources are polluted and there's, you know, glyphosate, for example, is destroying our gut lining. And we know that if we have a permeable membrane our and food particles are getting through our gut into our bloodstream that triggers an inflammatory response. And sometimes those symptoms are subclinical. So, you know, let's just say we we grew up on, I don't even know what the things are called, Cheez-Its or goldfish from all the way up. And our guts are just dysregulated. Over time, the end result of prolonged inflammation in the body is autoimmunity. Our body just says, you know what? I, I don't know what to do. Everything is everything is toxic to me. I can't handle anything. I'm just going to start attacking myself. And so our food is horrible. Our healthcare system, as it stands, is set up to give a pill for an ill, which oftentimes creates more of a problem. Prime example of that, the symptoms, the signs and symptoms of low HCL or hypochloridria very much mimic the signs and symptoms of high. So, you know, if we're on that low side and we go in and our doctor gives us a proton pump inhibitor that lowers our HCL even more, we've gone from low HCL to even lower HCL. And suddenly we have this environment in our gut that can't kill anything. And so we are susceptible to all kinds of things. I think we're stressed. I think our social relationships are not what they used to be. We're we're living in isolated things. I think that there's a lot of things that play in, but if I had to pick the two biggest ones, it's it's our food, it's the standard American diet, and it's our lack of taking a deeper look at our systems, our body systems. Do you sometimes get frustrated that nobody seems to be doing anything about this? I mean, in a way, it's from a business standpoint, it's good for you, uh, but from a, you know, Changing the food pyramid, for example, from our uh, healthcare leadership, um, you know, changing the way medicine um, should be. Um, it just seems like there's zero change. They just seem to be doubling down on, you know, the same care that we've been getting. And it's, unfortunately, it's getting worse now because of, yep. as you mentioned earlier, you know, the provider not being able to spend any time really with a patient and just reading off a script and prescribing and moving on. Um, like to me, I just, kind of looking to the future and thinking to myself, what is going to be the ultimate end game? I mean, we just cannot, as a society, continue to get sicker and sicker. So we can't. Um, and yes, it does make me angry. And I used to get really angry. And honestly, during COVID, I found myself getting so distraught to the fact that I couldn't sleep. I was like, okay, <laughs> 
reel this back, <laughs> reel it back, control what you can control. You know, we had two years to, to pilot a healthy America campaign, you know, and all that stuff aside, I think that, and, you know, some conspiracy theories make a lot of sense because they are logical. This particular one is that there is way more money in sick care. And if you follow the chain, if you follow the financial chain, the investment groups that make the food are the same groups that give us the medication to create the problem that the food created. So these these. You know, I hate to sound so wooky about it, but the corporations are making us sick are the same corporations that are making us better. And their goal is lifetime patients. The goal is not to get off the medication. And I think that that's been proven time and time again with pharmaceutical behavior and and issues. And that's not to say that I don't think there's a time and a place for medications. I do. But I think that the the rate at which they are utilized is to our absolute detriment. Well, I mean, you certainly see that on the uh, in the oncology space, um, where I think curing cancer is probably not the ultimate goal. I think it's treating yeah. cancer chronically. Yeah. Um, certainly keeping people alive for 30 or 50 years is great. And it's a great benefit. But um, uh, but obviously, it's a bigger revenue stream, you know, for the pharmaceuticals, uh, as opposed to you know, the magic medication that's going to, like an antibiotic that's going to cure you in, you know, seven to 10 days and that's it. It's depressing when you kind of sit back and realize kind of how big the machine is, but there's a lot of people in, in the space that we're in who are helping a lot of people. And so that's when it feels really big and, and insurmountable in some ways, we draw the focus in and help who we can help and reach as many people as we can. And that's really all you can do. But I do think the tide is starting to change where more and more patients are, they don't want to go in and get another prescription. We're starting to hear that more and more. And so that gives me faith that there's a potential to turn the tide. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously your knowledge of prescriptions and medications and reference to some of the patients um, that you're treating on the wellness side, do you look at that and say, okay, well, look, you could, you can't officially say it, I'm sure, based on what you said earlier, but, you know, are there certain supplements or are there certain uh, types of food, for example, that, you know, you can eat that is more of a healing agent um, than it, than how we look at food now, which is just, you know, simply used to be nutrition, but now it's just making sure you're not starving, right? Um, yes. So kind of walk us through that whole logic. Yeah. So. I can't tell anyone to come off their medication, but I will give the patient specific food, vitamins, nutrients, whatever they need so that they can. And then on that next lab, when we start to see values drop, I absolutely say, here's where you are right now. Please go see your prescriber and ask them about getting off. This, this can go, <laughs> but I can't make it go. So you have to take that part, right? Um, so food is very tailored to the patient and the patient's nutritional needs. And absolutely, the whole, the whole thing is about creating enough education so patients realize they can heal their own bodies. They can heal their own bodies with the foods that they don't eat <laughs> and the foods that they eat and targeted nutrition when it's needed. And then you kind of the same thing. 
well, I have a wellness base of vitamins that I take. And if I wind up with some sort of immune compromise or I'm under the weather or something, I've got my kind of my big gun <laughs> cabinet where I take it a little bit more. But but the whole goal for us is just to empower patients to realize that they can control a lot themselves just by making daily choices. And so it's helping them get to that place. Obviously, we're reversing lab values. We're bringing them out of inflammation. And once once they feel it, it's the same way with an adjustment. Like once you feel a really good adjustment and what that does to your, your mindset, your eyes, your whole body, the same thing happens when you clean out your food. Once you feel what feeling good feels like, the junk is just not as appealing. I mean, let's just face it, we're we're wired for sugar, salt and fat. So <laughs> you're probably always going to crave it to some extent, but you when you know what it feels like on the other side, you're less likely to fall prey to those those things. Yeah, I think one of the biggest you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll call it a mistake, but it's it's probably more diabolical than that is is this movement since the 70s to, you know, get people off of what I would call healthy fat. Oh my you know, gosh. I mean, just from you a cell structure alone, the cell, you know, comprised of 30, 33% fat, right? So, um, the fat free diet arguably got us in this mess. Yeah. So There's a great book called, sorry, I'm just cutting you off. No, no. Before I forget, Food Pyramid by Marian Nestle. It's fantastic. She goes all the way into, I, I believe it was the McGovern Committee that started that whole no saturated fat movement, which turned into the no fat movement. Fascinating history, which I didn't know, but it really framed why the RDA wound up with the recommendations that they did. And it was lobbyists from the cattle industry. So follow the train anywhere. (laughs) While we're on the book topic, you had mentioned earlier in the podcast, it was another book we were talking about chiropractic. Oh, Heidi Havoc, The Reality Check. Fascinating. She she is a neuroscientist and she goes into the, the neurology of what happens when you get an adjustment. And it's really about specificity and speed and proprioceptive reset. It's it's fascinating. And the neurology is, frankly, to replay it, it's kind of over my head. I get it, but I can't. I can't retell it the way she does. So the book is fabulous. So, so far we have Food Pyramid and Reality Check as the two book recommendations. Oh gosh, there's tons. Um, Yeah, Overdosed America would be a huge starting point for anyone. It's old. I mean, this was written by a, a PCP in the like mid 90s who couldn't keep up with the research that was coming across his desk about this medication for this and this heals this. And it was on the heels of when the pharmaceutical industry was allowed to direct market to patients. And so he would have patients come in and say, hey, you know, I I need this for this. But he didn't feel like he had enough information to say, okay, this could help with this or this couldn't. So he actually wound up quitting family practice, devoted the rest of his professional career to researching the, to critiquing and looking at the research presented by the pharmaceutical companies for the marketing of XYZ drugs. And what he discovers in the book is fascinating. I mean, he goes into all the research, you know, Lexapro, for example, was never indicated for depression. I mean, the list goes on and on, and it does a great job of shedding doubt in the industry that markets us everything. What was the name of that book again? 
Overdosed America. I'm looking for books to read right now, so I'm going to check out all three. I love it. There's another one, which is like The Disease Delusion. And I think it's by Bland, but that's basically like the Bland was the father of functional medicine and he does a phenomenal job of framing functional medicine in an allopathic world and kind of explaining how it all started. So those will get you started. Anything else on wellness you want to talk about before we move into acupuncture? Just that people can be well. Wellness is not this thing that other people have that some people don't. Like wellness is a daily choice. That's what I want people to know. All right. So who's trained in acupuncture? Is it you or your husband? You? Me. All right. We're looking for an acupuncturist. Anyone want to come? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's different types of acupuncture, right? Yeah. Um, so what's your specialty? Most of what I've been working with right now is stress. On the heels of COVID, everybody wanted to come in with trust, with uh treating for stress. So um, I trained with a doctor named Richard Yenny from the Acupuncture Society of America. And I, I will delineate for any um, licensed acupuncturists that are out there, providers who are credentialed MDs, DCs, DOs, or I guess PTs are doing it now, are acupuncture certified. Acupuncturists are go to traditional Chinese medicine schools, and that's a different designation. Um, so the diagnosis style is where the differentiation lies. So the credentialed acupuncturists are using TCM diagnosis. It's assessing pulse. It is, you know, looking at eyes, looking at ridges of the tongue, asking a different set of questions to arrive at a set of treatment protocols or points. Uh, certified practitioners who are Western diagnostically trained are using what's considered a formulary approach. So we have like a Bible of points and it's really kind of if this, then this. So the doc that I studied under, I think he was in practice for like 60 years before he started teaching, trained in China. And he had just this series of, he calls them Yeni master points and they're all meridian points. But so I use a lot of his techniques and then a lot of formulary things. Um, and I think mostly digestive and stress. And then I also do dry needling. So a lot of patients will get a combination approach so that we're really targeting muscles with kind of different needles but also doing a meridian-based treatment as well for acupuncture. Yeah, I went to one last year. I kept having this chronic uh, elbow pain from probably golf and tennis because I'm probably doing something wrong. Actually, I know I'm doing something wrong in golf. Um, anyhow, I just decided to go to him based on a, a recommendation. And man, it hurt, you know, for a couple of uh, treatments. You know, he hit that that spot and with those little needles and our big needles and and then there was a lot of manipulation afterwards as well. Um, so. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I, I it, it got better. I mean, it got a lot yeah. better. So I'm a believer. Um, but That's it great. wasn't like the movies where, you know, some body's just, just lying there and, you know, they're putting the pins in and everybody's in this state of Zen, so to speak. And then you get up and go. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I, I was after the first one, I was a little afraid to go back. <laughs> So, so my treatment style is, uh, if it's a straight acupuncture session, you're in the Zen, you've got the music on the table's warmed. We've got top heat coming. It's a, it's a very Zen environment. If it's dry needling, that's a little more painful. Um, we try to Zen it out as much as possible, but, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more painful. Well, um, 
I will say he did do the Zen piece of it, but during the actual acupuncture, um, that was painful. Okay. Um, and then after you're done with Zen, he wakes you up and manipulates you for, you know, about 10 or 15 minutes and you're, you're totally out of your Zen at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> like, and when do I have to do this again? Okay. <laughs> exactly. But I do, I do, I did like the Zen part of it though. That was the good part. It's good. It, it can take the edge off people. I mean, I've had patients that have been able to get off their anti-anxiety meds and just are on a kind of a maintenance acupuncture protocol and doing phenomenal. That's another thing too, because those some of those medications really wreak havoc on the gut also. Oh, absolutely. 100%. If I could scream from the rooftop, and if I didn't ever care about my license... <laughs> Don't say I it, ever make it censored. care about my, I know, I know, I know. I, I, I would be like, get off it. You don't need it. Here's how we can do this differently. I would probably be a little bit more spicy and dogmatic about things, but I, we still have two youngish kids that yeah. we've got to get through college and I can't lose my license. Well, I also think too, you know, like, like optimal bio, like your practice, you know, you're, you're just basically treating one patient at a time. And if it's working for them, they're going to, it's like a grassroots movement. You know, they're going to go ahead and talk to their friends and family about it. And, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, more and more people are coming in, you know, and if at the end of the day through, you know, the, these practices that are, you know, trying to change over time, and it's just going to be, the patients are going to be more healthy and hopefully it'll create a shift in, in the way we treat people in this country. Yeah. And they're a happy bunch. You know, that's one thing that I love about our office. Not everybody comes in happy, but it is like a vibrant place to be. And the patients that are getting care are, it's the same at Optimal Bio. Like you're not really dealing with fussy people. You're dealing with people who are invested in their health. They're doing things to proactively change it. And it's just nice to be around like high vibing people like that. And that's our patient base. You know, I probably know what you're going to say because- you're on an Optimal Bio podcast, but um, <laughs> what's your thoughts on hormones? Yes. <laughs> so, so okay. So um, if you go to your OB and you tell them that your sex drive is low and sex is painful and you're just feeling a little lethargic, mm, if I had to take a stab, probably 75% of them tell you that it's just age. Yeah, this is just what happens when you get older and it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that uh, bioidentical hormone therapy is absolutely beneficial. Um, I've been on it for, I think, two years now, almost two years or a year and a half. I don't know. I'd have to look at my chart, (laughs) Um, but it's made a big difference. And, you know, I've gone to I don't specialize in hormones. I specialize in gut, but I have gone to numerous uh, functional medicine seminars on hormones. You know, there'll be a breakout on hormone. And because it's not my wheelhouse, it's always interesting. And I want to learn as much as I can about it. And the last one I went to was by um, Biotics Research. And there was a presenter there. And I, I, for the life of me, can't remember her name. I will find it. She presented all of the research that supported the use of BRHT. And, and what she did was she broke down the allopathic danger points. Like, don't do it. It's going to cause cancer. Well, here's all this research here that shows that it's protective. And she just took each myth and slammed us with research about how it is actually protective in most cases. So for me, that was, um, that was the, the turning point 
for me and when I started looking into it personally. It's interesting. So what was your thoughts on it prior to running into that person? Honestly, it wasn't really on my radar other than taking, you know, some supplements to increase testosterone. So I'm going to be 50 next year. Like it, it was, um, I was starting to feel the effects of low testosterone. I do CrossFit every day and I was starting to feel like I got hit by a truck after my workouts. And that was unusual for me. Um, the workouts weren't really changing. It was just my body. And, you know, as long, even with my protein, even eating the appropriate amount of protein and supplements, I was still feeling really beat up. Um, sex drive was getting a little bit low and I love my husband. We have a phenomenal marriage. It's like, what the heck is going on here? And sex was painful. So it was just these, um, these little triggers that made me think, okay, <laughs> you can either continue down this road that is not really leading to a great place, you know, personally for my marriage, for any of this, or you can seek out an alternative. And so that's when I started doing research about it. Um, and then just looking locally and, you know, Brandon's social proof online is great. Um, and we actually, our first office was in the same suite that he used to be in behind Waverly Place. So our old landlord had kind of told me about him ages ago. I think he was still practicing OB at that point, but he was, he was on the radar and I did the research and it's been great. Yeah. It's, it's, Unfortunately, traditional medicine hasn't embraced it. Uh, and if they do embrace it, it's because you, your blood test, your testosterone is actually lower than the lowest point and insurance then can you know, reimburse, but it's, you're going to be getting the synthetics or the creams or the shots or what have yeah. you. And um, you're, you're not going to reimburse for BHRT. And it's, and then of course I have, you know, some people out there that, um, you know, are good friends and, you know, they're, they're harder to convince. You know, sometimes they're, everybody kind of is stuck in their ways and, but they're hobbling They're you know, have all these little weird elements going on. And, uh, you know, I keep trying to tell them, you know, it can't hurt. It's a simple blood test. Right. No. And, uh, you know, then you can have a consult and then you can decide if you want to give it a shot or not. And if you do give it a shot, you know, there's very little, if any side effects. And, um, if you don't feel better then then go off it. Yeah, exactly. So it seems like a no brainer to me, but it is a hard convince. And I think that's because we are, we are so conditioned to follow the advice of our doctor. Well, he said, it's not that low. It's fine. What? 300 is not fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, in my case, it was 15, but you know, for a, for a male, like that's not fine. Um, and so it's just a slow progression of empowering people with information, which Thankfully, they can go online now and read things and everything is available. Um, and just letting them know that it's not normal and it it can change and it can change how you feel. And let's just say worst case scenario, all the research I did and all the val all the all the papers that convinced me to do it are wrong. Right. Let's just say every single one of those is wrong and I'm going to get cancer. I would rather live the next 25 years like this than, than how I was feeling before, right? It's it's not, it's protective, um, but it just makes you feel a lot better. Yeah, and also think too, in your case, you have younger kids, you know, I have older kids, but we take trips together and, you know, we climb mountains and do a lot of different stuff. And, uh, you know, you want to experience that obviously with your family, but in but if you then become dependent on them to, to be cared for, then you're actually, I think, 
it's almost selfish. I mean, you're you're putting a bigger burden on them to help you, right? So one hundred percent. You know, look at it. Can look at it a couple of different ways, and it, it, it's. Um, yeah. But I think all of us tend to just look at it from just simply the way we see things in our own little world. Yeah, we get used to our paradigm. No, that's that's why I literally why I do CrossFit is so that I can wear my grandkids on a backpack up a mountain. Like that's, that's my why (laughs) I joke with my kids though. Our oldest is 12. I'm like, you can't wait as long as I did to have kids. (laughs) I'm not going to see that day. (laughs) So like chop, chop, but not before you're 30. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Well, listen, um, this has been great. Uh, usually all, all the time, actually, we always ask our guests to, you know, give the audience, uh, you know, five takeaways, things you've picked up in life or, in this podcast or in your business or whatever. Um, so what would you want to share with the audience? Yeah. So great question. I should have prepared for this. Um, so I'm going to share two quotes because they are quotes that I live by. The first one is, um, Anais Nin life shrinks or expands in proportion to your fears. And as you close off from engaging in life, your world contracts. So don't close off and don't let fear stop you. Um, The other thing is that mindset is everything. And one of my other favorite quotes is by Henry Ford. And he says, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And I 100% believe that. Um, And then I guess, so so three more, I'm tasked with five. Move every day, sweat with with zero exception. Break a sweat every day. Um, Eat dirty food, like dirty. I mean, like dirt that came from the ground and uh, spend time with your people. Those are my five takeaways. Very good. Well, this has been great. I thank you for joining us today and um, nothing but the best of luck uh, with you and your business, your family, and uh, your quest to be healthier in life. Thanks, Jim. Nice to be here. Thank you. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brannon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brannon, Production assistance by Core Media. Beth Grabencourt, Administrator. Kevin Duthu, Executive Producer. The podcast can be found on our website, OptimalBio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. Epidemic Sound.